I'd encourage you, if, if you haven't opened up the Bible and we're reading along, to, to do so, uh, because I'll be referring, uh, one of the things that we try to do at our church is, is uh, teach from, from the Word of God. Uh, really, what I'm about to say is of very little significance. Sorry. But, but what, I, what I have to say about, in as much as I'm explaining this to you, may have eternal significance. So that's what we try to do for the next 25 or 30 minutes. Um, so I'd encourage you to, to keep that Bible open. I'll be referring to it. And um, it'll also make the talk go a little quicker for you, I think. The first lines of this passage we just read about talk about two ancient gods, Bel and Nebo. They were Babylonian gods that were fashioned into idols in order to be worshipped. And you're probably thinking, Luke, what does an ancient idol have to do with me today? It doesn't sound incredibly relevant. Talk about idolatry may seem about as relevant as a lecture on how to make yarn with a spinning wheel. I actually looked up that this week just to see what it looked like. When I was at university, I became friends with an older guy at the church that I attended. He was kind of a sage-like figure, and, and we spent, I'm not sure why, but we spent a lot of time talking and chatting together about life and spirituality. He had a habit of saying things that sounded incredibly profound. And then later in reflection, I, I would often be thinking, what in the world did he even mean by that? I remember one time he said, he said this to me. Luke, you only know what you really worship when you're alone in your room with nothing to do. I looked at him and said, wow, hmm, that's good. And later I remember thinking, I have no idea what that guy was on about. <laughs> Many years later, I think I know what he was getting at. It's very similar to what one of the former archbishops of Canterbury once said. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Meaning our truest, our truest worship is what our mind and our heart gravitate to when there's nothing there to distract us. Now, there are some forms of worship that are quite obvious. There, there are some gods that people worship that are obvious. Allah, Buddha. Maybe the, the Wiccan goddess mother or something. But most people actually engage in unconscious worship. It's the kind of worship that you slip into without even realizing it at all. It happens when you make some created thing the sole object of your affections, of your hopes, and of your dreams. Maybe that thing is power. Maybe that thing is money, or sex, or success, or your body image. That thing you've made the summit of your life, and then you are pursuing it at all costs. But here's the thing with unconscious worship. You don't need to pray to anything. You don't need to attend any religious worship service. You, you, need not, you, you look no different than all the other millions of people on earth that are also unconsciously worshiping some thing. And so it goes entirely unnoticed. Now, we might think, some of us might think that we worship God today, or, or others in the, in the room might think they worship nothing at all. But the truth, the truth is, is that we worship the thing that we treasure and trust to bring us ultimate meaning and joy. And what that means for us is this. We're all worshipers here today, every one of us, whether you think you're religious or not. And if that's the case, then idols or false gods, are not some distant relic of the past. They're very much part of our everyday life. 
an idol offers you some form of salvation, a salvation from the hell that we're really afraid of. So our modern-day idols show up in magazines and commercials that say, if you have a great body, it will save you from the hell of a low self-esteem. Our modern-day idols show up in the movies and TV show that tells the, the movies and TV shows that tell you a romantic relationship will save you from the hell of loneliness. Our modern idols show up in the office where your boss tells you you need to pursue money and success with everything you've got because if you don't, you'll, it'll save you from the hell of being a failure. Our idols show up in pornographic movies that promise to save you from the hell of unmet desires. Our idols show up in the conversations during mommy, mommy dates and, and, and parenting blogs that say the success of your children will save you from the hell of meaninglessness. You see, some of those things are bad, like pornography. But many of those idols are good things, aren't they, that, that have become ultimate things. They become the center of our soul's affection, and that's when they become idols. Tim Keller says, uh, author in New York says, an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your, your life would feel hardly worth living. Idols make big promises. They promise to fill you, to make your life meaningful. They promise you some form of salvation. No, no, not salvation from a hellish lake of fire, but from the hell of loneliness and failure, the hell of unmet desires or meaninglessness. The question is, can they deliver? Can anything this world has to offer deliver? Isaiah 46, I'm going to say Isaiah because I, I tried to say Isaiah, and I say it about 30 times during this talk, and I'm just not going to get it right. I know you guys all say Isaiah, Isaiah, but just deal with me. Rich, Rich is going to be particularly bothered. He told me already, but there you go. Isaiah 46 makes the claim that false gods, which we all worship, not only do they not deliver on their promises, but they actually add to your burdens. So we've got two simple points today we're going to make from Isaiah 46. And the first one is this. Don't worship gods that can't deliver. Don't worship gods that cannot deliver. The Babylonian gods in Isaiah 46 cannot deliver because they're false. They're idols. I want to first look at what, what, what can false gods not do. Okay, Look at verse 6 with me. Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. Then they hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. The Babylonian gods that the Israelites were tempted to worship were created by the very people that, that worshipped them. It was their own gold and their own silver used to fashion these gods. And here's the first problem with idolatry. If you create your own god, it's not going to be of any help to you. If your god depends on you, you're more a god than the god itself. See the last phrase of verse 6. This is the essence of idolatry. Here you take your finest possessions, created things, you make a god out of them, and then you bow down and worship the thing you just created. What else can't idols do? Verse 7. 
False gods must be lifted upon their shoulders and carried. They, they set the idol up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. They have no power. They can't even move on their own. They can't even stand on their own. They can't carry you. You have to carry it. They're powerless. False gods have no knowledge. The last half of verse 7, even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. The, the idol can't answer because it doesn't know anything, has no wisdom. And so Isaiah concludes, a God without knowledge and power, guess what? That God is not going to save you from your troubles, Israel. Here's Isaiah's point. These idols don't have the power to do the things they were created to do. Now, I said this in the beginning. Humans have not ceased in the business of making idols. No, we're not using, most of the time, gold and silver anymore, are we? But here's the thing. You, you don't need gold or silver to make an idol. There was another old prophet in Israel named Ezekiel. And he says this in his long prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. You can see it on the screen. He says, these men and women, I think, maybe I, yes, I do. These men and women have set up their idols in their hearts. Did you hear that? No gold needed. No silver needed. Idols are formed in the heart. We create an idol anytime our devotion and our trust are aimed at some created thing more than the creator. This is exactly what the, the old theologian John Calvin meant when he said in his famous quote, our hearts are continual idol factories. We pump them out right here. But we as, we, you know, we as modern people can be quite pretentious sometimes, can't we? We read a text like Hannah just read for us, and we think, these people, they're primitive and they're laughable, bowing down to inanimate objects they think they're going to save them. In reality, our, our contemporary idols have no more power or wisdom than these ancient ones. Our idols can't deliver on their promises either. Can our worship of money or our worship of sex, or our worship of success, or our worship of leisure, ever give you the lasting joy and purpose that we're, we're, we're pining for? Absolutely not. Listen, we, we even know this as we, anytime you, you, you read a novel or, or watch a movie, they're tapping into this very same thing. Success, money, power. Leisure, it's not going to give you the thing. It never fulfills you at the deepest level. That's the thing that runs through all of that. It doesn't deliver on ultimate joy or the peace we crave. Well, we've seen what false gods can't do, but, but you would be wrong to think that, that false gods do nothing at all. That, that, it's one thing to say that idols aren't helpful, but Isaiah something, says something stronger. He actually makes the claim that they're harmful. Oh, false gods do something. They add to your burdens. They weigh you down. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. 
The images that are carried are, are, are about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. So Bel is, is the father of all gods in the Babylonian tradition, and, and Nebo is the, is the god of wisdom, the, great, the, the son of the great god Marduk. And once a year during the Babylonian New Year festival, these two gods would be paraded around this, the city of Babylon with all the pomp and circumstance of a graduation ceremony. But here's the irony. These gods had to be carried by the very people who were worshiping them. But Isaiah wants you to see that the irony goes even deeper. Because eventually Babylon, just like every other ancient empire out there, would be destroyed. And those gods of Babylon, the ones that were paraded around the city, would be loaded onto ox carts and carried off into captivity. As the ox stoops down to drink water or to rest, it's as if Bel and Nebo are bowing in submission with it. The gods would add to the burdens of those animals, oxes, who were beasts of burden. Not only can these idols rescue you, Isaiah is saying, they actually will add to your burdens. Now, now we see this most plainly today when our idols turn into addictions, which they often do. You've likely encountered someone who's been trapped in, in some addictive behavior. Maybe it's alcohol abuse or drug abuse or pornography. The very thing they go to for release, for joy, for salvation, it does a, a bitter bait and switch with them, right? And it ends up crushing them. Addiction is really complicated, right? It's physiological, spiritual, mental. But it's a form of worship. What you worship is what you are willing to make deep sacrifices to keep. And that's the problem with false gods. They keep on asking more and more and more of you, and they never return on their investment. Idols, in the end, always rob you of joy as they're holding out joy in front of you. Look at verse 6. Again, some pour out, the word actually is lavish, some lavish gold out of their bags. They weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. These people, many of whom were very poor, would take their most precious possessions, gold and silver, and they would sacrifice deeply out of their own pockets in order to worship a false god. Idolatry requires sacrifice. If you worship money, if, that's, if that is the, the center of your affection and heart, then you're going to be willing to sacrifice your ethics in order to make more money. If you worship success, you're going to be willing to sacrifice your children and your family and your friends in order to get more success. If you, if you worship your children, you're going to be willing to sacrifice your spouse in order to worship your children. I want to read for you some haunting words from the, the, the pop icon, Madonna. Well, at least she was famous at one point. I'm not sure how famous she will be in, in some areas of this congregation. 
She reflects on how success has become her God. You can see it above. She says this, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. That's, that's her hell, isn't it, that she wants salvation from. I push past one spell of it and discover myself a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear, fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Success became her god, and it turned into a drug. Always asking more and more from her, but never giving her the satisfaction she was pining for. That's how idols work. They never deliver, and they make your burdens worse. So don't worship God's who can't deliver. Second point, worship the true God who always delivers. Worship the God who always delivers. Isaiah wants to get Israel's attention in verses 3 and 4. Look at it with me. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. So Isaiah is showing us here what the true God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. What what has the true God done? Verse 4, I made you. You create false gods, but I created you. Your existence was my invention. And not only have I created you, I'm the one who's currently sustaining you. God's saying, listen, Israel, when have you ever carried me? When have I ever needed to be upheld and sustained by you? Never. I, the Lord, have always done the carrying. Do you remember the Exodus, Israel, when I liberated you from enslavement to an oppressive Pharaoh in Egypt? It was me, God, that carried you through the Red Sea. It was me, God, that carried you through the wilderness. It was me, God, that brought you into a hostile territory and gave you the promised land. It's always been me. God has carried you, Christian, from your birth to your old age. He's carried you from your first hair follicle to your last gray one. Christian, remember this. As we grow old, we, we naturally... He's, the image here that Isaiah uses is an image of a father. We naturally outgrow... We, we mature beyond total dependence to our parents, don't we? But, but, friends, we never mature beyond our dependence upon God. You may have read your Bible through 30 times and have been attending church for 50 years, and you are no less dependent than, you, than, than a, a newborn infant. That's what he wants you to know. What the true God will do. The last phrase of verse 4 says the true God will rescue. 
False gods can't deliver on their promises. But the true God always delivers. He'll never fail you. Humanly speaking, a parent is usually the person a child can trust in the most. Not all the time, right? But usually. And listen, I I desperately want my children to trust me. I want them to follow me. Because I I know I have their best intention in mind. They don't understand that. But I know it. But I'm also very aware that I will let my children down. If they follow me really closely, they'll see my darker side. They'll see my selfish motivations. My selfishness, they'll see my, my mixed up motivations at times. And as much as I love them and intend the best for them, I know that I can never be their savior, can I? Even the best of parents can't ultimately deliver. We, we can't offer our kids the salvation they need. But God will never fail them. Why? Because of who he is. Verse 9 tells us that God is utterly unique. I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. He's unique because he has supreme knowledge and wisdom. Verse 10, I know the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come? He's the author of knowledge. He's the source of wisdom. But he's not just an... It's one thing to have an all-knowing God, but he's all-knowing and he's powerful, meaning he can act on his knowledge. Verse 10, I say... My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. What have I said that I will, sorry, what I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. You want to know why God is the only one that can fill you and save you. It's because he's the fountain of all life. His existence is not dependent upon upon anything or anyone else outside of himself. God and God alone is the only truly self-sufficient being. He's the rock-bottom source of all life. He's the rock-bottom source of joy and peace and wisdom and meaning. All those things spring from within him. He's the only being like that. And so for us, for us to have true joy, for us to have true peace, for us to have true life, wisdom, ultimate meaning, we have to find it in the source. I am God. There is none like me. Maybe you're here today, and you think of yourself as non-religious. And therefore, you've assumed that you're a non-worshipper. Others of you are here today thinking you're very religious, perhaps Christian. And yet, in either case, you've realized that you have some deep, hidden idols. False gods that you love and trust and you serve. 
idols that you're willing to sacrifice deeply for in order to keep. Idols that you think will bring you some form of salvation. Here's the thing. You can't simply remove that idol from your heart. They must be replaced. There's an American, old American scholar and pastor, theologian named Jonathan Edwards who wrote a famous sermon you, you, you may have read it in literature class because a lot of secular literature classes read it, called and The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the basic point of that is that the way to remove a lesser love is to have a greater love. The way you stop worshiping a false god is not to worship no god, but to worship the true god. And there is a god who instead of saying, you sacrifice for my pleasure, says, I'll sacrifice for you. We read at the beginning from a verse from the Apostle Peter, who writes in 1 Peter 2.24, tells us how God sent his son Jesus, who sacrificed himself to bear our burdens. He, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. False gods say, you sacrifice for me. The true God says, I've sacrificed for you. I'll carry your burdens. I'll take the penalty of your sin in order to bring you to God, in order to give you peace, in order to bring you ultimate and true joy. So friends, there's really one, one call to action. Replace your powerless and harmful false gods with the true God. Worship, treasure, love, submit to the true God who has made himself known in his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we admit that um, there are there are no there are no non-worshippers here today. We all worship something. We all have something that we are looking for to save us from something and 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 some place where our, our soul's affections are aimed at. Father, you've created us to be filled by you. You've created us to be restored in a relationship to you. But our sin has, has, has moved us so far away from you. We're so distant because, because we've rebelled against you. We've spurned you. We've ignored you. We've rejected you. Father, we pray that many people today, whether Christian or non-Christian, would Look on in the face of Jesus Christ who sacrificed everything to make us right with God. We pray that we would worship, treasure, love, submit to your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.